Daniel 11, and we're just going to read uh, verse 32. Uh, oftentimes in the past, when, I, when I've dealt with the attributes of God, I love starting from this verse. I heard a message many years ago, or not heard it, <laughs> I'm not that old. I read a message many years ago by C.H. Spurgeon. <laughs> and uh, uh, anyhow, and it was from this verse, and it, it stuck with me probably 20 years, just so far as the importance of what is taught about something that is said here in Daniel. But in Daniel eleven thirty two, it says, Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask for your help this morning as we open up your holy word and seek to preach and teach from it. I pray that you'd show us, Lord, the understanding of the Scriptures and help us, Father, to know more about you. As we look into the, uh, this over the next several lessons that we'll deal with, I pray, Lord, we have a better knowledge of you, but that knowledge would also be turned into faith and also, Lord, that also into works. And so that we would uh, go about, Lord, from here with a greater knowledge of you, a greater trust in you, and that it might define and strengthen the work that you would have us to do. In Jesus' name, and amen. This verse reveals really how important it is to know our God. When he says, a people that do know their God shall be strong and do great uh, exploits, it tells us a lot about the importance of the knowledge of God. Knowing our God will give us strength. It will empower us to work and to labor for Him. And it's so vital that we not only just believe in God, as we've been talking about Bible doctrine, it's not just enough to believe in God, we need to trust in Christ for salvation, but we need to also a more clear understanding of who God is, of His attributes. Now, some of this, I realize, might be elementary for some of you, uh, and it's somewhat elementary for me too, so far as the things we'll talk about, but I don't get tired of talking about them, because... I, it, it's it reminded me of the greatness of my God, of His nature, of His character, and it has strengthened me in just meditating and restudying these things and going back over them. Um, the work we do as a people of God, the work we do is directly reflective of the knowledge we have of God. Okay? The people that do know their God shall be strong, so their strength from knowing God and do great things. So I, I want to do great works for the Lord. Well, if we want to do great works for the Lord, we need a foundational understanding of the knowledge of who God is. We need that. Because the knowledge of God will guide us, it will strengthen us, and it will give us direction as to the manner of works that we would do. You know why a lot of churches, a lot of Christians get involved in things they shouldn't? A lot of times it stems from a lack of understanding of the knowledge of who God is. Because sometimes we find out that it's the knowledge of God is what keeps us from doing certain things. Well, well, God is this. Therefore, I shouldn't do that. And so that gives us some direction. Um, regarding uh, attributes, when we talk about attributes of God, the term attribute uh, is in, in its application to persons or things. It means something belonging to that person or thing. So we're talking about attributes, we're saying something that belongs to God. Something that describes who God is, or what, who God is. The attributes of God are, are those peculiarities. J.B. Boyce, 
J.P. Boyce said, which mark or define the mold of his existence or which constitute his character. There's many things that we'll call, well, this is an attribute of God or this is a character trait of God. There's many things we can say about God in regards to my point. We'll be pointing one thing out at a time, but they never contradict one another. They never contradict one another. I like what Bob Coughlin said. He said, God's attributes exist together in perfect harmony, perfect balance, perfect cooperation, with no contradiction, no confusion, and no diminishing of their glory forever. You know, sometimes what happens is Christians get off in their perspective and knowledge of God, or they only focus on one aspect of God, and what happens is they get off in the rest of their theology and in practice. I think that we had seen enough time, most of us have seen that the love of God has been stressed in a way that is not biblical, and people haven't looked as well at the wrath of God, the justice of God, and those kind of things, and people have got a wrong perspective of what the love of God actually is. Listen, all of His attributes work together. They, they do not contradict. Um, God is holy, and God is love. God does not deny His holiness in order to love. God is forgiving, and He is forgiving, and God is truth. God is all of those things and much more as we'll look into that. And so I'm just making the point that we don't have to diminish one. We don't have to lower one. It's not about even balancing one with another. We must proclaim all of who God is without diminishing any aspect of who He is in any way. We should want the fullness of the knowledge of God. So I pray the Lord help us as we briefly just touch on some of these attributes and because we could spend you know weeks and weeks and months and months just talking about this and that's not a bad thing but that's not the purpose of all of this study we're doing first of all let's talk about one we referred to a little bit last week but let's state this god is self-existent god is self-existent Turn to Exodus chapter 3, if you would. Probably a very familiar passage. But in Exodus chapter 3, the passages in bold, okay, those are the ones we'll actually turn to. We have some other scripture references up there. We can't just turn all over the Bible all the time. We would spend the whole time, you know, turning. But we want you to turn to some of them. And, um, and so the ones in bold are the ones we'll actually uh, turn to, all right? I uh, hear God is describing Himself, of course, to Abraham... And God says, or to Moses, I'm sorry. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. You know, people don't want God to be who God is today, do they? But God is who He says He is. He is the I am. In the very first part of the Bible, it says, In the beginning, God. Before this world was created, before it ever began, long before, I can't, you can't even describe it, can you? By saying long before, you're implying time. There is no time with God. God is the eternal, self-existent one. You can't even say an eternity past. It doesn't, it doesn't accurately describe. You cannot describe eternity. You cannot describe the self-existent, eternal God. But long before the world was ever created, long before then, you cannot imply time, but go back as far as possible in your mind, there was God, always was God, always has been God. 
God's being is underived. In other, in other words, He came from nowhere. He always has been and always will be. His existence is independent of everything else. God's self-existence implies His complete independence, which sets Him apart from the rest of all of His creation, which is completely dependent upon Him. You can go ahead and turn to Acts 17. Creation ultimately depends upon God. Yet God Himself depends upon no one. That word independence means not dependent, free, not subject to control by others, not relying on others, not subordinate. It means that God is self-sufficient. He is self-governing and He is sovereign. In Acts 17 and verse 25, it says this, and also in verse 26, nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything. Listen, folks, God doesn't need our worship to fulfill Himself, okay? We get the privilege of worshiping the Almighty. Since He gives to all life, breath, and all things, and He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. I like what Sam, Sam Storm said. He said uh, this. He said, This king lives independently of all other life forms. He is the origin of all other life forms. His life is non-derivative. He does not live because of who anyone or anything else is or who or what anyone or anything else does. He simply is, irrespective and independent of all other. His life is beyond the ravages of death, decay, or disintegration. God in His wisdom, to try to relay to our human mind and to Moses, to declare who His name is, that would describe who He is, says, I am. I just am. I am the self-existing one. I am the eternal one. Like I said last week, I just can't think too long about that. I think about that just for a little while, and my, I feel like my brain just kind of snaps, like something comes loose up there. You know, like I, I just can't think about that any longer. We cannot comprehend God in His greatness. When you think about how vast the universe is, as we mentioned last week, and, and all of creation, and all the heavens, and to know that the Bible says that He, he measures them in the span of His hand. Listen, for us to be a people who walk by faith, we need to be grounded. We can talk a lot about it. We need to walk in faith and walk in faith. We can talk a lot about that. But unless we have a knowledge of who it is that we're trusting in, we're not, we can't walk by faith. In Hebrews 11 and verse 6, it says this, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. We need to diligently seek God in His Word that declares who He is. And as He reveals Himself to us, then are we better able to walk in faith. 
The more we know Him, the more we know the one in whom we trust. I think the more we know the greatness of God, the more it will encourage us to trust God when we see what a wonderful and glorious God that He is. I can have faith because God is self-existent. I can have faith because He always was and always shall be. I can have faith because He is unchanging. I can have faith because He is all-powerful. I can have faith because He is a loving and merciful God. I can have faith because He is a God of justice. I can have faith that that all things will work out for my good because that God loves me and is all-powerful. It's so important that we are grounded in the knowledge of who God is. I'm convinced that the problem that many Christians have today and the reason they are wavering on some major issues is because they're not grounded in the knowledge of God. Turn to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. The self-existence of God speaks also to God's self-sufficiency. God is complete in and of Himself. If there was anything that God was in need of, then that thing that He needed would be the measure of His imperfection or dependence. Okay? Let me say that again. If there was anything that God was in need of, then that thing, whatever He was in need of, would be the measure of His imperfections and dependence. Our God is gracious enough, however, to use mankind to accomplish His divine purposes. But God is not in need of us. Don't think so much of yourself, basically, that God is in desperate need of you to do something for Him. Listen, no, He doesn't. He will, he will allow you to do things for Him. He'll call you to do things for Him. But don't act like, well, God really needs me. Isaiah 46 and verse 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure." Calling a bird of prey from the east. We looked at that this morning actually, right about Elijah. Calling a bird of prey from the east. The man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Folks, that's our God. That's our God. He's not a God up there trying to get things done. He's a God up there getting His plan done. Whatsoever He has purposed. He shall accomplish. At the end, the devil will have zero victory, folks, in the sense of he he did not hinder God from accomplishing anything that God wanted to accomplish. So I don't understand all of that, preacher. I don't understand all of it either, but I believe it. That whenever God says He declared the end from the beginning, and that His counsel shall stand, that He will do all of His pleasure... I may not understand that in the scheme of of how the world is playing out, but I have confidence and faith that that is true. And that gives me strength and courage as a person of God, as a believer in the Lord, that when I look at this world and, and see it, what a mess it looks like it's in, and it is, that my God is still this. 
He is still accomplishing His will. He is still accomplishing His purposes. Does He do that sometimes through wild beasts? Does He do that sometimes through ungodly men? Listen, don't think for a moment that God is not in control. When we look at the book of Revelation and we see what God has planned, there's some terrible things coming down the pike. But He already said it was coming, didn't He? <laughs> I take, take confidence and courage and, and have faith in that your God always is, always was, and always shall be. That should give you strength to know that none can overcome Him. And to know that He always was. Our next thought I just want you to think about for a little bit is how God is immutable. God is immutable. That speaks of God not changing. You can turn to Hebrews 6 if you want. But David said to God, You are the same, and your years have no end. I mean, to, to describe the eternal nature of God, the Bible still, still, still uses years. Your years have no end. The Lord says in Malachi 3.6, He says, For I am the Lord. I change not. Now, folks, I think this aspect really of God, it really probably needs to be a whole series uh, in itself, the nature of God in immutability. Because there's so, there is so much. You, you could focus on each one of His attributes and just highlight the fact that he, that, that, that doesn't change. His power hasn't changed, all right? His holiness hasn't changed. His idea of justice has not changed. His idea and commandments have not changed. The morality. I think we need that. Immutability, immutability of God means that God is unchangeable. God is unchangeable in His nature. I believe God is unchangeable in His purposes. Now, He says things sometimes in the Word of God to try to relate to us, but in God's ultimate plan, God is unchanging. God is incapable of change, either in duration of life or His nature, or His character, or His divine will that is secret to us. God is the only person in all the universe that can claim to be immutable. You know, and Hebrews really shows how important that is. In Hebrews chapter uh, 6, verse 16 through 19 says this, For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Listen, if God changes His Word and His promises change, then, then what do we hope in? If His Word changes and His promises changes, then where is our hope? If God changes, then we don't have an anchor for the soul. We don't have sureness. We don't have steadfastness. And you know why some Christians are wavering and they're being blown about by every wind of doctrine and, and every idea of, of the culture that comes about is they're not grounded in the nature of who God is and that this God is unchangeable. 
we got to get back to this. Listen, we need to change. And we need to be more like Jesus Christ. All of that. But know this, God has not changed at all. Are we being changed by who God is? Or are we being changed by what the culture is? Are we becoming more in the image of God and the image of Jesus Christ? Or are we becoming more in the image and the ideology of this world? We need to change. I don't deny that at all. I need to, I need to change big time. I still need to change. I need to grow in faith and knowledge of the Lord. But I need to change in accordance to Him and who He is and His Word. We've got our eyes too much on the world and we change with it. When we, change, when we get our eyes more on Jesus Christ, we'll change with Him, if you would, and be more like Him. If God is unchanging, if God is unchanging, then, or if God changes, how, how can I trust anything that the Word of God declares Him to be? If God changes, then where does He change? When does He change? What verses don't apply to Him anymore? What word can you tell me can I not lay hold of? Or what word can I not be an anchor to my soul? If His word is changed with time, if God's nature changes, what, what if His plans change? Listen, thankfully, God's purposes do not change. I believe that with all of my heart. I don't always understand God's plan in my life, but I know it's God's plan. And that's different. You can see that the saints of old try to get understanding from God why God did certain things. And we can, we can wonder about things and wonder what God's hand is doing, but be certain that God's hand is doing it. Now this was all part of, of Job's comfort. I mean, Job faced a terrible time in his life. The loss of everything that he had. And he said this, and it was part of Job's comfort in Job 23. He said this. He is in one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul uh, desires, even that he does. For he performs the thing that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. So, well, preacher, I read the first part of that book. And didn't Satan come to God and, and ask God to do that? And so didn't Satan do those things? Yeah. And then the Job also turned around and said, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And the Bible says that God or that Job did not charge God foolishly. So I don't understand all that. Well, I didn't say I understand it all either. But I know this, that, that whatever leash God has Satan on, he's on God's leash, and God's in charge. He said, Job said, for he performs the thing that is appointed for me. He said, he is in one mind, and who can turn him? Whatsoever his soul desires, even that he does. We need to remember that. I like what C.H. Spurgeon said about this. He said, a changeable God would be a terror to the righteous. They would have no sure anchorage. And amid a changing world, they would be driven to and fro in perpetual fear of shipwreck. 
Our heart leaps for joy as we bow before one who has never broken his word or changed his purpose. Folks, that's our God. What if God changed? Where is that anchor for our soul? We would be driven mad wondering about what is God going to do today? We have a constant changing world. But we need not to fear because we have a constant God that never changes. You got that? We have a constant changing world, but fear not because we have a constant God that never changes. Now when you live in that reality and you trust in the Lord, knowing that the Lord is unchanging in all of His nature and all of His character, it helps us to be strong. It helps us know that God's got a plan and God's going to stick with it. He doesn't change. It helps us in other ways, in issues of morality. God has not changed. God has not changed in the last five years about what He says in regarding to sexual immorality. He hasn't changed. But some Christians are changing. I'm concerned about this. I'll be quite honest with you. When it comes to all the sexual immorality going on in our culture and our country, I'm concerned about what I'm hearing sometimes. I I, I tell you, I appreciate the video this week, and it really got me thinking. Um, Folks, listen, when it comes to the sexual stuff that's going on, the, the homosexuality, the transgender stuff, all of this stuff, listen... If you're a Christian, listen, to this whole rainbow stuff, I don't, I don't say a lot about it sometimes, this whole rainbow stuff, listen, to identify with that in the smallest amount, okay, you are putting your stamp of approval upon the mutilization of children, the castration of little boys and of little girls. If you stand with that whatsoever, just walk away. Say you're no longer a follower of Jesus Christ. But that's exactly what you're saying to the rest of the world. And you're confusing people. To declare yourself to be a Christian and identify with that flag, it is an ungodly thing, an abomination. And that's just the truth. What's going on with our country is sick, it's terrible. We've got to stand strong on this. We've got to be right on this. And our God hasn't changed what He has said to be an abomination. He hasn't changed at all. And now we want a little qualifier, don't we? Well, preacher, we need to be loved. We need to be kind. I never said we didn't have to be loving and kind. But we've got to be right. We've got to be right. We feel like we've got to make all kinds of apologies about homosexuality, about how we love them and all of this before we ever say it's wrong. It bothers me that we would waver the least bit on this. That we show any support for it, any encouragement for it. It's wrong. It's a satanic attack 
Satan is anti-family. Always has been. We've got to be strong in this, folks. God has not changed his view of sexual morality between a man and a woman as God made them biologically. I can't believe I'm having to say I never thought when I was preparing for ministry I'd ever have to say the words biological male and biological woman. I've never seen that coming down the pike. But biological male and biological woman, however God made them, that's who they are. God has made marriage for them and them alone in the bondage of the marriage covenant. Anything, anything outside of that is wrong and immoral. We're so focused, even, even those that might be strong against the sexuality we see today with the transgenderism, we, we've gotten, we're so focused on that, I'm afraid that we're, we're still guilty of other things as well. I mean, we, we don't look as cohabitation, you know? You know, we worded it that a long time ago. Premarital sex, still wrong. Still wrong. Are you teaching your kids that? It's still wrong. Are we sweeping under the rug like some other people do? It's still wrong. We're, 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 we're adapting to the world more than we want to realize. We're changing with the world. The world's going this way and we're just a few steps behind it. But God's still way over here. He's still what I should be going over here. He's way over here on the right. <laughs> he's, way, he's right because he's right. Okay, that's not a political statement. He's right. And the world's way over here. And we're just a little bit better than the world. But folks, we're, gonna, we're changing all the time. And while we're doing that, we're getting further away from Him. We need to change. But we don't need to change with the world. We need to change because of who we know God is. And if I change for anything, I ought to be, ought to be stronger on this issue. I'm disheartened about it. I didn't write all this down to say all this, but I'm just so burdened by this. God's morals haven't changed. We've got to make sure that we're not showing any sort of support or celebration at all. At all. So why well, I want them to know I love them. Well, if you want to love them, don't show support and encouragement or celebration of their sin. It's wrong. I'm thankful this morning also that our God is sovereign. I must be preaching too long because my things are shutting off. <laughs> well, I can't do that right now. You can help me afterwards. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, But our God is in the heavens. He has done whatsoever He has pleased. Listen, if God is not sovereign, then He could be changed. <laughs> so they, these two go hand in hand. If God is not sovereign, then He could be changed by things. He could be changed by, by culture. He could be changed by circumstance. He could be changed by people or His creation. The sovereignty of God means that He does what He wants, when He wants, the way He wants, apart from opinions or decisions or influence of man. God does as He pleases, always as He pleases, and only as He pleases. No one can defeat His counsels, thwart His purposes. He rules over all His creation and accomplishes every purpose He has eternally decreed according to His own good pleasure. I believe that. 
That gives me comfort and strength to know that. How thankful we need to be that our God is sovereign. God isn't just good and has good intentions and and hopes to do well. God is good and God is sovereign. I'm glad of that. He is sovereign and can carry out all of His will. It's one thing to have a will. It's another to be able to carry it out. Our faith would greatly shake if God was only good and righteous but was not sovereign. I like what A.W. Pink said. He said, Because God is infinitely wise, He cannot err. And because He's infinitely righteous, He will not do wrong. Here, then, is the preciousness of this truth, the mere fact itself that God's will is irresistible and irreversible fills me with fear. But once I realize that God wills only that which is good, my heart is made to rejoice. (laughs) We may have good wishes and good intentions, but we don't have power to carry that out sometimes, to make sure it gets accomplished no matter what. God has good will towards His people, and He's determined good towards His people, and He shall carry it out. I'm amazed at people who would find comfort, try to find comfort in Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good, but then not believe that God is sovereign. Uh, turn to Psalm 135, if you would. We may not have time to, to cover all these verses up there this morning. But in Psalms 135 and verse 5 and 6, it says, For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and in all deep places. You know, the psalmist had just declared earlier in verse 1, Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise. Praise Him, O you servants of the Lord. And what cause we have to praise the Lord when we see what He says later there in verse 5 and 6. Now we may not understand all that God is doing, but we trust that He is in control and trust that this One that is in control is also holy. The God that we're trusting in, He's unchangeable. He's sovereign and He's holy, righteous God. His love for us is unchanging. His love for us is sovereign. So those purposes that He has planned for His children, they shall come to pass. The plan He has for us has not changed. What God purposes, God is able to carry out. Isaiah chapter 14. You know, I didn't even bring in the context. I probably should have of Daniel 11 or, 11 or 9 where we started. But the context is actually prophetic in, in regard to the nation of Israel during the end times. I think this is as well in Isaiah 14. But it means something to us here. Verse 24, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand. And he talks about the, the judgment coming upon the Assyrians in the, in the land. Later he says in verse 26, This is the purpose that is purposed against the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? I mean, God has planned His judgments. God has planned this thing, folks. And when we get to the end, 
We're going to say the Lord has done whatsoever He has pleased. And He has declared the end from the beginning and we see that He's done all that He ever wanted to do. We'll have you turn to one more passage and it'll be the last turn there. But in Daniel chapter 4, we read this a couple weeks in, in the adult class, but in Daniel 4 verse 34 And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, none can restrain His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Folks, we need a God, we need to proclaim a God like that. And we need to trust in the Lord of the Word. We need to believe the Word of God and what God has to say about Himself. He is this God that is the self-existent, eternal One. He is the God, as we've mentioned, that is unchanging. And He is the sovereign God. He is able to accomplish all of His will and all of His purpose. And all those things He's determined for His children are good. But doesn't, for, for their good. doesn't mean everything will be good, but He will accomplish it for their good. I guarantee you that at the end, when it's all wrapped up, we'll be able to look back and say, Romans 8.28 is true. Our God worked all things out for our good. I have confidence in that. Now, do I struggle in faith at times? Yes. Stephen Sharnock said this, The power of God is that ability and strength whereby He can bring to pass whatever, whatsoever He pleases, whatsoever His infinite wisdom may direct, and whatsoever the infinite purity of His will may resolve. God's power is that which gives life and actions to all the perfections of the divine nature. God's power is like Himself, infinite, eternal, incomprehensible. It can neither be checked, restrained, nor frustrated by the creature. I like that. The people that know this God, trust this God, shall be strong. Folks, we need to rise up and be strong today in this culture. Our feet need to be planted on the nature of who God is. He is unchanging. I stand on that. Right is still right and wrong is still wrong. The people that know this God will be strong. And Daniel 11 said this, Daniel 11.32 said this, and do great exploits or works. When we are founded in the knowledge of who God is, it strengthens us and encourages us to do His work. It defines our work. As we said at the beginning, many Christians get involved in things they shouldn't get involved in because they're off in the knowledge of who God is. We will do greater works, church, for God. The more we are grounded in in the knowledge of Him, the more we have faith in who He is, we will be strengthened. How can knowing your God affect your faith? How can knowing your God affect your service and your walk? How can knowing your God better change where you stand in regards to moral issues and the truth? Folks, I just want to be right with God. I want to know who He is. I want a right knowledge of God. I want a right knowledge of God 
because that will help me to stand right where I need to stand. We've heard so many things in regards to the nature of God, and God is this, and God is that. Man is all the time trying to change who God is. Well, guess what's also changed? Our ideas of morality in this culture. But where did that stem from? It came from the reality that, that the Word of God does not declare who God is. God is a God of your own making, a God of your own mind, who you believe God to be, and where's our morality went as a result of that. I'm concerned about what this culture is doing to the people I pastor. We got we got to be right on this. This culture is attacking our children. We cannot waver where we stand on this at all. But loving on people is not showing any sort of, of agreement with them. Loving on people is not celebrating their evil. They're evil. We need to be right on this. God help us to stand strong and to be loving at the same time. It is a difficult tightrope to walk sometimes. But don't waver on the truth. God help us. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord, that you would work on our hearts. and Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to have a better knowledge of who he is, of who you are. Lord, this culture is coming at us on so many fronts, and I just see the attack on our families, upon biblical manhood, upon womanhood, upon our children. Oh God, our school system is allowing filth to be read by children. Pornography to be read by children. Oh God, help us. Father, we need you. Help us be grounded in who you are, what your word says about you. Help us to stand with you. If that means standing against the whole world, that's okay. God, help us, I pray, to repent and to come back towards you, to not move with the world, but to turn in repentance and say, no, I'm going to side with God on this. God, help us. Our world needs the truth. They don't need us to change with it so as they might find us appealing and loving. They need us to stand firm on what is right. God, help us to trust in you, the sovereign God, the unchanging God. Help us have confidence in your purpose and in your will and to know that even when all the world is going crazy, that we know that, that, Lord, you are in charge and that you are going to wrap this thing up one day soon, all in accordance to your will. And I have confidence in that. Father, help us. Deliver us from ourselves. Deliver us from the false ideologies that we have of you. Help deliver us from from the the thought that you are who we say you are, but help us to believe who you say you are. Help us not to make you in in our own image, but help us, Lord, to be made in your image. And God, forgive me for where I have failed. Forgive me where I haven't stood where I ought to stand at times. God, help me to be right with you. 
God, help us as a church to be right with you. Help us to be right with you and help us to go out and proclaim the truth to this world of who you are and stand firm upon that. In Jesus' name I pray and amen.